Hello, everybody, and welcome back, musical lovers, to another episode of Before the Downbeat, a musical podcast. I am your ginger host, Mackenzie, and our Canadian B. Arthur director extraordinaire, John Adams of Canadian Theatre, Autumn Smith, is still away on her theatre contract, so she is still out for a few more episodes this season. But fear not, she will return in time for our big 50th extravaganza episode. But her and I set up some awesome guest hosts to take over for her for the next few episodes. And for this episode, I'm excited to announce I'm joined by one of my dearest friends from Portable 303, returning from her wonderful guest appearances on our Rent and Next to Normal episodes. It is the Elva to my Glinda. It is the one and only jessica maxwell hello yeah. jay maxwell hello that you your introductions every time <laughs> the best <laughs> chef's kiss <laughs> i think that's how i should like be introducing you on like global <laughs> if they need if they need if they ever need anyone for and to do an introduction then yes absolutely call me up I'm the people. Of my people, call your people. <laughs> Perfect. Love it. Love it. Love it. Okay. So today we are talking about the epitome of the teenage angst musical. Jessica, what are we talking about today? You hit the nail on the head. It is the epitome of teenage angst coming of age rock musical spring awakening. Mm. That's right. That's right. And a trigger warning for going forward from here, because we'll be discussing topics that include sexual assault, child abuse, abortion, and other adult situations. So if you are a younger listener or someone who may be triggered by these topics, then uh, you are more than welcome to just skip the rest of this episode because, yeah, not a problem there. We'll see you in the next one. But Jessica, let's uh, break this down. So after Next to Normal ended, after we went off mic, you pitched us as this was the next musical you wanted to return for. So why did you choose this musical and how did you come to this particular show? Well, kind of. I kind of pitched it. This was a bit of an accident as to how we started talking about this because we had mentioned it in the Next to Normal episode. Right. Autumn, I, I had to go back and find it and make sure that I worded it correctly. But Autumn had mentioned that Next to Normal was kind of a musical that is, um, I believe the word she used was that it was like a lecturing musical. Mm-hmm. And Rent yes. is the same show. And she had mentioned Spring Awakening. And Mackenzie, you had said, oh, that's one of Jessica's favorite musicals. <laughs> it is. And then I was like, well, if you're going to cover it, I'm more than happy to uh, discuss it. <laughs> Um, I would defend it from or, us. Or defend it. I, though I don't know because um, 
I was ready to defend rent and then my perspective changed by the end of it, but I'm, True. I'm open to any sort of dialogue. All right. All right. Um, I first got into Spring Awakening um, pretty much the same way that I got into it by um, Next to Normal, which was on the advice mm -hmm. of my friends. Mm -hmm. It was probably about six to eight months before the first national tour was supposed to come to Toronto. And okay. they were asking, oh, like, are you seeing Spring Awakening? Have you gotten tickets to it yet? And I was like, I have no idea what this musical is. And they were like, well, we think you really like it. And I was like, okay, well, you guys haven't steered me wrong yet. And um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll see what it's about. I was pretty, at the time, I was pretty open to seeing just about any musical, um, right. whether it was on the advice of my friends or not. That was kind of when I was starting to get back into seeing shows. And I just wanted to see, like, everything. Um, right. And so, so yeah, this was, this was about 2008. And so this was before it was accessible to find mm -hmm. um, Broadway clips on, on YouTube and social media yep. wasn't hardly a thing. So it was much more difficult to kind of try to get a sense of what the show is about. I think mm -hmm. I had read the synopsis of the first act, but I didn't read the synopsis of the second act because I didn't want to spoil it. Um, nope. And I listened to the cast recording. Yeah. And that was kind of it. Um, but I was still I was still pretty interested in it. I liked that it was a um that it was a rock musical. I was really mm -hmm. into those at the time. And I mm -hmm. liked that it was a show that was about teenagers that was played by teenagers mm -hmm. and young adults. And yeah, I would I just listened to the cast recording a lot. I really liked the music. I liked that it was mm -hmm. like a folk pop rock sort of music. And um mm -hmm. I saw it. I ended up getting tickets to see the first national tour in Toronto on the first day of spring, as fitting as that. Is. <laughs> that so that was March two thousand and nine. Yes, and that first national tour starred the original um, Broadway Anastasia, if I'm not it mistaken. Did. Yes, Christy Altamar. Yep, she played. That's yes, yes. Yes, I remember reading that. And I was like, ah, and I read it. It had one stop in Toronto, in Canada, and I was like, I'm sure Jessica was on. Saw that show when it came to Toronto. I did. I, 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 had... I vaguely remember you talking about it in drama. Oh class. yeah, I was so excited. I had I got tickets um uh for the stage seating. Yes, that's right. Which yes. was such a cool experience because mm -hmm. you, <laughs> stage seating, you feel like you're literally part of the show. Yeah, that was very cool. Love that. Love that. Well, I came to this uh, musical thanks to you because uh, you were excitedly talking about this piece, particularly after I started watching Glee because you're like, oh, well, they were in Spring Awakening. They were in Spring Awakening. That's right. Like a lot That's of the right. cast and it came from Spring Awakening, funny enough. Yeah. Yeah, they mm -hmm. did. And actually, this entire original Broadway cast went on to do so many things. They like, yes, I would say just about everyone were fresh face kind of unknown mm -hmm. no one knew who they yep. were and then saw incredible success after spring awakening right exactly uh so yeah so that so that as an i i do remember you trying to get me to listen to the whole album because but that but, but because i'd seen the tony award performance and i i just wasn't impressed i i wasn't happy with the rock musical genre at the time <laughs> even though somehow you got me into next to normal this one was just, I don't know, it was, I think it was just a step too far for me where I was like, mm, no, no, it's just not mixing with me. 
Um, so we can talk so, more about that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so, so yeah, so, so, so I'd seen it, uh, I'd seen clips of it and I was like, I'm just getting a lot of angst. I'm not getting a lot much else out of this sucker so far. It's just not speaking to me, you know, because as we said in a, in a deleted segment from our rent episode, Jessica has noted that I did not have an angsty teenage period in <laughs> high school. <laughs> That's right. You didn't. <laughs> I forgot I was, that. Yes, exactly. 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 That comes, uh, that, that quote comes from a deleted scene from our rent episodes. If you want to hear the full deleted segment, go to our Patreon page and sign up and you can get some deleted extra goodies from our rent episode, which includes Jessica talking all about how I was the least angsty teenager possible. You really were. Yeah. So you that probably a smile on your face it. at 8 a.m. every day. <laughs> <laughs> Tis true. Tis true. So then I actually came to this piece again when I was at York because we had to read the play version of this uh um, that inspired this musical in my theater world in transitions class our twit class as we called it fun times uh so yeah so so part of my reading process was i actually went back and revisited this piece again because the york library had a copy of the cd so i was able to go in there rent the cd out and download it onto my computer and so once again the music wasn't doing it for me but this time I found that the themes of the play and the musical and the topics they explored, I was much more drawn to because I was like, yep, I get, yeah, this actually has some very good meat in it. And it like the topics they talk about uh, was like, okay, I get this. Uh, so then when we said we're coming back to it again for an episode this season, I was like, okay, let me listen to it again. And by this time listening to it, I was like, okay, I think I'm starting to understand why why Jessica and all these other theater people of the world are continually drawn to this because it has a very good track record uh, as which we'll get into in the Broadway production history section. So it was like, okay, so if we're all getting it, so we're already into this, I can think I see why and we'll explore more of my discoveries and when we get into our song selections and stuff. So stay tuned for more of that, putting a pin in that conversation. So now, Jessica, as this was your piece that you kind of picked for us, give us the plot description, plot summary goodness. Spoil away, by the way, everybody. There will be spoilers. Yeah, there kind of has to be spoilers with this one. Yeah. Um, yeah. There is a lot in this show, and there's a lot that kind of happens. But mm-hmm. uh, we are, our setting is in late 19th century Germany. And the mm-hmm. musical kind of focuses... Um, on a few different characters, but primarily our three main characters are Ben LeBergman, Melchior Gabor, and Moritz Stiefel. Um, so at the top of the show, we're introduced to Benla. She is kind of frustrated because she's about she's about 14 years old, and she's about to be an aunt for the second time, and she has no idea where babies come from. So she's curious, and she asks her mm-hmm. mom, and her mom is like, she's she cannot bear to explain how babies are made. So she just says mm-hmm. the only way that a um, uh, that a woman can have a baby is if she loves her husband very much. And Venla's not satisfied with these answers and she's just kind of left very upset about the lack of knowledge yeah. that's given to her. Um, at school, some teen boys are studying Latin and Moritz Stiefel sleepily misquotes a line. He gets chastised by a teacher 
Um, he is defended by his uh, friend, Melchior Gabor, uh, who talks back to the teacher. Obviously, he gets uh, scolded for that. Um, and uh, he kind of reflects on like the narrow mindedness of, mm -hmm. of society and um, how he's so intent to change things. Moritz explains that the reason he can't focus in school is because he's been having these dreams that have been driving him nuts. <laughs> he cannot sleep. He's he's just totally haunted by them. And Melchior says uh, these are um, erotic dreams, which are mm -hmm. very normal for boys yes. to have at our age. Um, yep. Melchior is a very he's very educated. If he wants to know something, he goes and learns more about it. Which kind of makes him a little bit more of like like the rebellious type of character. Yes. So Melchior says, you know, I understand that what you're. He says to Moritz, I understand what you're feeling is probably really frustrating. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm going to write you an essay, complete with illustrations to explain it. <laughs> uh, we then see uh, Venla runs into Melchior. The two kind of reminisce about their friendship. They kind of consider what it would be like to give in to physical desires. They don't. Uh, mm. Meanwhile, back at school, Moritz sneaks a look at his test results from his final exams, and he finds out that mm -hmm. he's passed. He's so excited. However, uh, the teachers have decided that, you know, not everyone can pass, so they're going to fail Moritz anyway. Oh. Um, yeah. <laughs> you think that's sad. Just wait. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, one of the other girls who's friends with Venla, Marta Bessel, accidentally admits mm -hmm. to Venla and their group of friends that she is being abused physically and sexually by her father and that her mother mm -hmm. is either oblivious or just doesn't care. She tells the girls, do not tell anybody or else we're going to end up like, or sorry, I'll end up like our other friend, Ilsa, who was in a similar situation with her abusive parents. And now she is mm -hmm. homeless and kind of wanders the streets aimlessly. And she doesn't want to be in that sort of situation. Later, Venla finds Melchior again, and she tells him about what happened to Marta. Melchior is totally appalled mm -hmm. by this, but Venla is so curious about what's happened to Marta that she convinces mm -hmm. Melchior to hit her with a stick. And a she's switch. like, I just, a switch, sorry. And um, she's like, I just want to feel something. I just want to feel something. And he gets really carried away, and he starts beating her with a switch and he takes out his frustration on Venla, kind of throws her to the ground. Um, he's really disgusted with himself. So he runs off, mm -hmm. leaves Venla there. And as Venla is um, leaving, she finds Melchior's journal and takes it with her. Mm -hmm. Moritz, meanwhile, has failed his exam. His father is completely um, disappointed in him and more disappointed that he, that Moritz is going to bring embarrassment on the family that the town will see his father as, oh, it's, that's my son, like the man who has right. the son who failed. Right. Um, so Moritz writes to Melchior's mother, who's kind of his only adult confidant, and um, he asks for money so that he can flee to America. She says no, but she will speak to the other adults and kind of mm -hmm. get them to ease up on being too hard on mm -hmm. him. But he is devastated by her refusal and he then begins to contemplate suicide. Right. In a hayloft during a rainstorm, um, mm -hmm. Venla and Melchior run into each other again. They both apologize for what happened in the woods. Melchior is still really disappointed in himself and he wants her to leave. And mm -hmm. she, he says, no, she suggests staying there. And then things kind of get a little heated. And um, 
Did you all roll in the hay? Uh, it's, yeah, um, they. Uh, <laughs> we will get into that. Literally, a lot of literally, they do, uh, and um, uh, they they have sex, and um, so ends Act One. <laughs> yes. Opening with Act Two, Venlin Milk, you're kind of reflect like it shows like kind of the where we left off with the right. end of the sex scene and into. Um, them kind of reflecting on what happens. Mm-hmm. Moritz has been thrown out of his home. He is wandering the streets carrying a gun and he runs into Ilsa. Ilsa explains that she's been taken in by an artist colony and she's kind of living this bohemian lifestyle. They reminisce on their childhood memories and she invites him to join her at this artist colony. Moritz mm. refuses and Ilsa is doing everything to change his mind. Um, and he keeps he keeps turning her down, keeps saying no. And then she runs off. And after she runs off, Moritz is kind of like, oh, my gosh, what have I done? He calls back out to her. She's gone. He is completely he's now even more devastated. This was kind of his last his last little yes. bit of hope, um, feeling he has nowhere to turn. Moritz commits suicide. Yeah. After Moritz's death, the schoolmaster and the teacher kind of want to draw attention away from Moritz's death. They because they pretty much know that they were part of the reason as to why he um mm-hmm. why he died. So they begin searching through his things and they find the essay that Melchior wrote. And so they're using this opportunity to blame Melchior for Moritz's death. Melchior um. and Melchior knows he he knows that it's not his fault, but there's nothing he can do. And as a result he gets expelled. Then love becomes ill. And so she is taken to the doctor by her mother. Um, the doctor gives her some medication, just says that Venla is suffering from anemia, but she'll be fine. But actually, Venla is pregnant. And the doctor tells the mother this in an aside. And Venla's mother is completely blown away. She's like, she's like, what, what do you mean? Like, you're pregnant. How did this happen? And Venla is stunned. Because she does not know mm-hmm. how she got pregnant. She's like, I don't have a husband. What do you mean? And then she realizes, mm-hmm. oh, wait, I got pregnant because I had sex with Melchior. Um, right. And so she lashes out at her mother and she's like, I can't believe you didn't tell me this. Like, actually, this is your fault. And um, she uh, is kind of interrogated by her mother by being like, who's the father? Like, what happened? And so Venla surrenders a note that Melchior gave to her. And then she oh, kind dear. of, yeah. Meanwhile, Melchior's parents don't want to send him away to a reform school mm-hmm. after Moritz's death. But once they learn that about Venla's pregnancy, they kind of feel like they have no choice but to send Melchior away. And mm-hmm. they do so without telling him that Venla's pregnant. So during this time, they keep contact through letters. And in one of the mm-hmm. letters, uh, he finds out that like uh, Venla confesses in one of the letters that she's pregnant. And Melchior is he's so stunned and he basically runs away from the reform school and because he wants to go find her and he runs into Ilsa uh, when he finally finally returns to town he runs into Ilsa and says um you know I I I need you to let Venlin know that to meet have her meet me at the cemetery at midnight but Ilsa and the other girls are kind of like oh my gosh Melchior doesn't know what happened Mm. We'll find out what happened in a second at the, <laughs> um, <laughs> at the so at the cemetery. Melchior stumbles um, across Moritz's grave. He is he kind of speaks to the grave like Moritz, my friend. Like I'm so 
sorry that this has happened, but like, I want to let you know that like we, Venla and I, the child that we're, we'll raise will be more compassionate and will be right. loving and um, in more of an open environment. And then Melchior notices a grave next to Moritz's. It's a freshly dug grave. And he finds out that it's Venla. And he realizes that Venla has died from a botched abortion. He is, Melchior is overwhelmed by this shock and this grief. And he is, um, he's intent on killing himself. But then mm-hmm. right as he's about to, the the ghosts of Moritz and Venla kind of rise from the grave. They say, you know, don't do this. Like, we're not gone. Journey on. Remember us yeah. in the memories forever. And so he, so Melchior does not, does not kill himself. And it's kind of, um, that's kind of one of the final scenes. And then lastly, so it's Ilsa, o'clock number. It, it, it is. Yeah. Um, and it's, the music of it is quite haunting because it's, yes. it's not a reprise of one of the other songs. It's uses the same music, but the mm-hmm. lyrics are different. It's, it's kind we of will cool. get into that song. We will get into it. Okay. <laughs> and then lastly, Ilsa kind of leads everyone on stage um, in the Song of Purple Summer, which is about, you know, uh, these adults are still kind of calling the shots, but we are part of a new generation that will mm-hmm. change how we do things and how we see things and view things. And so ends Spring Awakening. <laughs> <laughs> Take a breath, Jay Maxwell. Take a breath. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, drink some water. (laughs) It's a a wild ride, folks. (laughs) It's a very interwoven piece. That is for sure. Lots goes on. It sure does. Yes. Yes. So, Jessica, back to you again. (laughs) (laughs) Because now, tell us about the creative team. Because we have a whole new batch of people to get into yeah so as you had mentioned Mackenzie Spring Awakening is um originally was originally a play that Mm -hmm. was written by Frank Vedekin who Mm -hmm. was a German playwright and he was often um uh pretty criticized for a lot of the scandalous subject matter that he He was out Mm -hmm. um in fact, Spring Awakening was written, published, and practically banned the next day because of all yeah. like of all the subject matter that was in it. Um, yes, we'll, we we will get into that. Just about all the subject matter that was in Spring Awakening, the musical was also in mm-hmm. the play, and actually yes. the play goes even further in some parts. But yes, it does. We will get into that. Okay, so just to so yes, yeah, so the play is mostly is based on Frank Vedekin's work, but for the musical, our creative mm-hmm. team is meet, made up of Stephen Sater, who wrote the book and the lyrics, and Duncan mm-hmm. Sheik, who wrote the music. Right. Stephen Sater is a poet, playwright, lyricist, writer, and screenwriter. Mm-hmm. He has worked a lot with Duncan Sheik. After Spring Awakening, they did a play called Alice by Heart, which is based off Alice in Wonderland. He's right. worked with Sheik on other projects, including Nero, The Nightingale, and Mugby and Rose. Mm-hmm. And Stephen Sater, not Ian Rose. Stephen Sater has also written for artists in the pop rock world, including Michael Bublé and Brian Adams. Ah, ah. avec Bublé. <laughs> All the French in this German yes. play. <laughs> <laughs> 
So uh, Duncan Sheik uh, composed the music. He is a singer, songwriter, and composer. He is best mm -hmm. known for his song Barely Breathing, which earned him a Grammy nomination for Best Male Pop Vocal Performance in 1998. Mm. He, his self-titled debut album was released in 1996. And since then, he's released seven albums. Wow. He has composed music. Yeah, I know. He's composed music for uh, the New York Shakespeare Festival's 2002 production of Twelfth Night. He has composed music for a film called A Home at the End of the World, directed by Michael Mayer, who we'll get to in a minute. He also composed music for a Arkansas Rep 2013 production of Because of Winn-Dixie, based right. on the movie of the same name. He wrote the music for American Psycho, the musical, which premiered in 2013. Mm -hmm. And recently, he composed the music for Shakespeare Theater Company's 2016 production of Taming of the Shrew. Yes. So he's had quite, yes, he the, quite the resume. credits there. And again, yeah. worked on projects with Stephen Sater, which I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. yeah. Michael Mayer directed it. He is a theater director, filmmaker, and playwright. Some of his theater credits include the 2002 production of Thoroughly Modern Millie, the mm -hmm. 1999 revival of Your Good Man, Charlie Brown, Green Day's American Idiot, mm -hmm. uh, the revival of Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Most recently, yes. he did the off-Broadway production of Little Shop of Horrors, and he is directing the upcoming 2022 revival of Funny Girl. Yes, Yes, that was just announced. That stars Jane Lynch. And Beanie and, Feldstein. Yes, Beanie Feldstein, who's currently starring in a great show of American Crime Story, The Impeachment of President Bill Clinton, where she plays it, Monica it a Lewinsky. Really it's a yeah. fantastic show. I'm thoroughly enjoying it. So, yeah. Love that. Yeah. And he's also had film credits for, he directed the pilot of NBC Smash, the movie Flicka. Good show. Directed um, A Home at the End of the World. Which, mm -hmm. while working with Duncan Sheik, <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, Alpha House and The Seagull. Um, I've also met Michael Mayer and he's a very nice man. When did you meet him? I met him um, on opening night of the first national tour of American Idiot. Ah. I was leaving the theater and mm -hmm. I, I was, he was walking a little bit up ahead. And I was like, well, that's Michael Mayer. <laughs> <laughs> that's very him. nice. He was very nice. I told him I loved Spring Awakening and I loved American Idiot and um, took a picture. And he was he held up the playbill and it was it was very nice. Aww, that's a frameable <laughs> picture, Jay Maxwell. Yeah. That should be up in um, your office. I have so many um, actors and creatives that I've met that could fill up this whole office. And I'd still you should do away. a photo Photoshop collage <laughs> of all the photos. Maybe someday. Yes, that yes, that's Jessica's side project. Project. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, our show uh, was also choreographed by Bill T. Jones, who is a choreographer, director, author, and dancer, who's mostly mm -hmm. focused on a lot of his own um, dance projects. But he was also, um, in terms of uh, Broadway credits, aside from Spring Awakening, he was the co-creator and co-director of Fela. Oh, okay. Yeah, which also played at the Eugene O'Neill Theater, which was where the Broadway production played. So good, kind of full good circle catch. moment. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, and one last notable uh, person on our creative team is one of the lead producers, which was Tom Hulse, actor, singer, theater mm -hmm. producer. People might know his acting credits from 
films including Animal House, Amadeus, and Disney's mm-hmm. Hunchback of Notre Dame. Correct, I was about to say, he is the voice of Quasimodo. He is. He was an act, he focused most, mostly on acting up until probably the mm-hmm. mid to late 90s. And then mm-hmm. since then has been focusing a lot more on producing. Aside from Spring yeah. Awakening, he has produced an adaptation of John Irving's The Cider House Rules, as well mm-hmm. as Talking Heads, which was a festival of Alan Bennett's One Man Plays. Um, right. He also headed 10 Million Miles, which was a musical project by Keith Bunnan and singer-songwriter Patty Griffin. Right. Um, he was also the lead producer on the stage adaptation of Green Day's American Idiot. Uh, and most recently he did, uh, he was a producer for the musical Ain't Too Proud. And mm. I also found out that he produced the 2004 movie, A Home at the End of the World. <laughs> 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 All these people seem to know each other. Who knew? It's, it's a small, small world, Jimmy Maxwell, as it we know. It really is. It really is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that rounds out our creative team. Love it. Love it. Okay. Well, in that case, why don't I get into some production history? Because yeah, that is a stacked creative team of of folks. Yep. So let's begin. This musical began as a play by Frank Vedekin in in 1891, which, uh, which in its time was extremely controversial due to its depiction of such topics as abortion, rape, child abuse, and suicide. And it was banned from Germany for quite some time. It premiered in America in English translation in 1917. And its debut performance was almost uh, didn't happen because the New York uh, City Commissioner of Licenses tried to shut it down, claiming the play was pornographic in nature. Almost immediately, Vedekin was able to secure an injunction from the Supreme Court and allowed the play to go on. Unfortunately, audiences seemed to agree with the commissioner and the play closed after a single show. So, then we skip ahead to to basically the early 2000s, and the show's creators, Duncan Sheik and Stephen Sater, met through a Buddhist group and desired to adapt Vedekin's play due to its ideas of teenage rebellion and sexual discovery, which they felt still resonated with the youth today. Uh, They devised that they wanted to stage the, the piece using an alternative rock score as background to represent the Teenage Rebellion. Sheik uh, then set about composing a, a, an arrangement of, of demo songs for the original concept of Spring Awakening. These earliest drafts adhere much more closely to the original uh, play's plot, which includes Melchior actually raping um, of, of, of Venla at the end of I Believe. The earliest workshops had this song end with uh, with Venla's screams while she's being raped. It was then decided that this moment needed to be softened as Sheik and Seder wanted the scene to be more loving between these two characters. To do this, the sequence went through several iterations. In the off-Broadway version, Venla gave consent, but it was still very much ambiguous. And then when it was uh, mounted on Broadway, Venla gives explicit consent to Melchior, but the caveat for the for the creative team was that to remain tied to the play, that they had to have that while explicit consent was given, Fenla couldn't know fully what they were going to do. So it still had the tragic outcome. The musical went through seven years of workshops, concerts, and rewrites before a version was finalized. So 
that t- that shows you right there, people who are unfamiliar with the realm of theater worlds, that yeah, projects take a long time to develop. It is not just a write a script and, and mount it on Broadway. It is a long journey to get a show to to the to to to, to Broadway. Among the notable productions. In this period include workshops at the La Jolla Playhouse in San Diego, the Roundabout Theater Company in New York, as well as a concert at Lincoln Center in February of 2005 under the direction and, produ- and producer, actor and producer Tom, uh, Tom Holtz. That's kind of where he came on board. Then we get into some of the song changes that went on in the writing process. So There Once Was a Pirate was the last song to be rewritten and was ultimately replaced with The Guilty Ones. All That's Known replaced a song titled All Numb because the directors had re- um, had to reduce the runtime of the show and both songs had the same type of theme and topic being discussed. They were like, yeah, we're choosing uh, All That's Known over All Numb. Uh, a song called A Comet on Its Way was replaced by The Bitch of Living because uh, Shriek thought that because uh, The Bitch of Living was more upbeat, that it fit the show better. Those You've Known replaced a song called The Clouds Will Drift Away because Sheik wanted the song between the three main characters to stay close to All That's Known's theme. So that's why that was chosen. Uh, Another song entitled Great Sex, which was intended to be performed after Mama Who Bore Me Reprise, was also cut from the show because the directors thought the song pointed out the theme of the show too specifically. It was intended to be performed by Hanchen's big masturbation scene, uh, but the song was removed and the scene was moved into the middle of my junk. So there we go. So the musical did make it to Off-Broadway at the Atlantic Theatre Company on May 19th, 2006 and ran till August 5th, 2006. Uh, the cast included Jonathan Groff as uh, Melchior, Leah Michelle as Venla, John Gallagher Jr. as Moritz, Lauren Pritchard as Ilsa, Jonathan B. Wright as Hunchen, Lily Cooper as Marta, Gideon Glick as Ernest, Skylar Aston as George, Brian Charles John, uh, Johnson as Otto, Phoebe Strolp as Anna, Remy uh, Zenkin as Thea, Frank Wood as adult men, and Mary McCain as adult women. This run proved so successful that the producers decided that they immediately had to take the show to Broadway. The musical opened on Broadway at the Eugene O'Neill Theater on December 10th, 2006. The cast included much of the original off-Broadway company, except for now that Steven Spenla covered all the male uh, adult roles, and Christine uh, Easterbrook now played all the adult women. This production was once again directed by Michael Mayer and featured costume designs by Susan Hilferty, who also designed the costumes for the musical Wicked. Hey! Mm-hmm. Look at exactly. that! Right? Uh, this production featured a collage of old-timey paintings and objects to represent the stern elders, which was juxtaposed by the idyllic seascapes and mirrors to represent the youth. So, and the show is notable for having audiences sit on the stage, which was a newer thing that was going on. It wasn't. It wasn't a common practice. The cool thing. The cool thing about the stage seats too was that their ensemble. Plus their swings sit on those stage seats, but they're dressed yes. in modern clothes. Right. And I sat, well, actually first my mom did. And then I told her I wanted to switch seats. <laughs> um, <laughs> sat next oh, to, sat to, yeah, sat next to one of the ensemble members. And 
her and one of the male ensemble members walked on stage together, but took separate seats. And my mom offered her seat. She was like, oh, do you guys want to sit together? And she was like, no, it's okay. Like we bought our tickets last minute. It's fine. And then I think it's during touch me when they start, mm -hmm. like they just pull microphones out from the, out from their jackets and just start singing. <laughs> and my mom was like, what? <laughs> what? It was very cool. That is cool. That is very cool. And your seats are like the old wooden chairs. So they're very yeah. uncomfortable for two hours, but it's still pretty cool. It's worth it. It's yeah. It's worth it for those two hours. For Love sure. that. Love that. So this production proved to be a runaway hit and easily recouped its six million dollar capitalization, breaking even on August 7th, 27th, 2007. So barely a year into their Broadway run, they had already recouped all their money, which is great. The show opened to nearly ununanimous favorable reviews, so it was a big smash hit uh, and was deemed the critical and artistic darling of the 2006 Broadway season. Uh, this musical was nominated for 11 Tony Awards and won eight, including Best Musical, Best Book and Score for Sheik and Sayer, Best Direction of a Musical for Michael Mayer, Best Supporting, actor in a musical for John Gallagher Jr. And the show closed on January the 18th, 2009, after 859 performances and 29 previews. Whew. Other notable Broadway swings include Jennifer Damiano, Krista uh, Rodriguez, and then the uh, show is also notable for featuring future Glee star Jeff Jenna Askowitz, who went on to play Tina in Glee, but she was part of the ensemble. Then you had uh, Kate Burton as uh, adult women, Blake uh, Bashoff as Moritz, and, Alex and Alexandria Socha as Vendla. So quite, so, so, so quite a few new people came in, quite a few notable swings, quite a few notable ensemble members. It, it, it brought a lot of talent, as they say. So then the show was uh, revived on Broadway in 2015 by Deaf West Theater. This production was notable for having a mixed cast of both deaf and hearing actors who performed the show in American Sign Language and English simultaneously. The deaf and hard of hearing actors in certain roles were paired with hearing actors uh, who voiced the roles. Most of the hearing actors were also part of the live onstage band. Uh, this concept was based off a premise from Andy Mentis. Andy uh, Mentis. Yep, yep. Andy Mentis, uh, who was part of the first national tour. So you would have seen him, Jay Maxwell. I did. And, he is, and he's the husband of the production's director, Michael Arden, who, fun fact, was played Quasimodo in the out-of-town tryouts for, Hunch, for Disney's Hunchback of Notre Dame, which got a cast uh, recording. Wow. So bring back the Hunchback once again. Look at that. Everything just connects. Exactly. It it's all, all connected. You find it a way. Exactly. Uh, the production incorporated 19th century appropriate aspects of oralism in deaf education to complement the themes of miscommunication, lack of proper sex education, and denial of voice. The production opened in Los Angeles in the fall of 2014 at the Rosenthal Theater. The production eventually transferred to Broadway at the Brooks Atkins Theater with a majority of the same cast, except for the addition of Academy Award winner 
Marley Matlin, Cameron Manham, Patrick Page, and Russell Harvard in the adult roles. The revival be, uh, began previews on September 8th, 2015, and opened on September 27th, 2015. Once again, the production was very well received and received uh, nearly all positive reviews. The production was nominated for the two, 2016 uh, Tony Award for Best Revival of a Musical, but lost to The Color Purple. The product, uh, this production marked the first Broadway performer to use a wheelchair, which was Ali Stoker, future Tony winner for her star turn performance as Edo Annie in Oklahoma, and was the first Broadway production to provide interpretation for deaf-blind theatergoers. Uh, the show closed on January 24th, my birthday, 2016. There we go. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is your production history. Now, Jay Maxwell, let us get into the top three songs of the musical. As our honorary guest co-host, I will let you lead the way. Okie dokie. So, Mm -hmm. I will say that my first pick is going to be The Bitch of Living. That made my other list. Oh, okay. Well, I I choose this song because mm-hmm. I love how ridiculous this song is. Mm-hmm. Um, it <laughs> essentially a bunch of boys talking about their their uh, erotic dreams, so to speak, and their uh, their desires, their desires and their fantasies. <laughs> Lyrically, it's absurd. I mean, yeah. it's, it fits with the play, but I love that it like. <laughs> I love how it works, though, because let's take a bunch of teen boys who are angsty, mm-hmm. who yes. are like, oh, my gosh, I am feeling these feelings. I don't know what to do with them. So I'm just going to stomp around and do a little rock song about it. And I think that's mm-hmm. great. I love how those two pair together because angst and rock and emo music, that's they work in tandem. Right. So, yeah. That's why I love it. It's mm-hmm. pretty close to the top of the show and it just kind of kicks things off. And it's kind of cool how they do it stage-wise because this is shortly after Moritz explains like mm-hmm. why he's having these dreams and why he's <laughs> feeling this way. And it's like the choreography just works with this song. And mm-hmm. that's why I love it. Okay, fair enough. So for me, the reason why this song we made this is because I just felt this rebellious rock music was just too early in the show. This song should have started once again, kind of like Mama Who Bore Me in that classical area. And then by the end, give us a moment of that rock rebellion that is bubbling up inside. As the point of these boys are still very much in this repressed school. They're still in this very repressed, confined space. And the song is just, it, it, it just kind of shoots this proverbial load way too early <laughs> um, would, for me would, but i'm like build that rebe- I, 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 for me i go 
the the like I, I for me I really want to for me I just go that rock music should really break open in for the first time in the show and like touch me like by going to it oh. too quickly it's it's almost like stereotypical of like teenagers rock music where it's like if you actually build it in so it's this bubbling undertow that then ultimately overtakes the classical show it has a much better pull to it and feels less stereotypical and more like a bigger journey and the music actually has something bigger to say about okay. this new age that is growing inside these students you know what i mean like dramaturgy yeah. for me oh you shot your load too early you got, you got you got to this point way too early and then there's nowhere else to go so then it just stays at this high level teen angsty rock for yeah. for, for most of the I, show where i'm like Oh, give me a little bit more like I, I, and we'll get into that and ties into my first choice but first i'll let you rebuttal because i see you're wanting to rebuttal me <laughs> well i just i would like to challenge that because okay challenge we start me the I show, love this, we start the show with mama who bore me and then we have yes. mama who bore me reprise And would yes. Mama Who Bore Me reprise not be an angsty? That's it, it's not to the it's not to the same level as the bitch of living, but it's I, it's it's the same thing for me. It's, 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 yeah, little, it's like, the same aggressive, thing. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's exactly it. For me, I could have done Mama Who Bore Me reprise slash the bitch of living because both these group numbers, I'm like too early. Okay. Too early. I, 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 I too early for outright rock. I okay. like the concept and I like the lyrics and I like what they're saying, but I think musically. It's 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 shooting. It's going it's going too quickly into this because I mean, Mama Who Bore Me actually is my first pick for top three songs. Sure, sets up this beautiful repressed world in its very classical cello string overture. And then you have this gorgeous song, which is classically underscored. But then you have uh, Venla doing these kind of very much rock riffs in this, like that, mama, like that uh, kind of, it's almost uh, Queen. It, it, it's almost Freddie Mercury esque, the way they wrote that mm-hmm. vocally. And it's like, it, ha- it has that rock quality to it, but it still has this underscore of repression like she's calling out saying i want this information i want to know and she's singing in this kind of rock style but the music is not giving it to her yet right and for me i go when you set that up in the first song i'm like okay so they were going to get a bit of a journey of music to reflect this rebel this rebellion and this repression but then (laughs) 
like the very next song they're like nope we're just going right to the rock <laughs> detour I'm like well, damn it we, like, like, like save it savor it like that's the like that's teenagerness to me like teenagerness is always this push and pull of parent world versus your inner turmoil and when you automatically have the teenager world to overtake this uh, this world that is repressing you too quickly then there's just nowhere else to go i mean as a teenager we all felt like my parents don't understand me but at the same time we're in an institution that is run by the adults who don't understand you right so it's this continual push and pull i mean i, I mean we have that all the time with our teachers well so then um i think i think that kind of goes back to the like that's the whole point of the show is that you yeah. go from having these, and I think you mentioned it, that goes from having these juxtaposition of it is, these it is. characters. And that's what I like about this first song. I I would argue it does it for the whole play. But, you know, mm, you no. have... No? It's, no. It, we're, well, we're in, in, in the sense where it goes from it being like a... Like we're having a scene and then these characters mm-hmm. just break out into song. Yeah. Yeah. But I, w- yeah. I would say I wouldn't I wouldn't have well I don't know I, I would just say for me like I think what this show really needs is, is is a look at reorchestration because they have classical instruments in the pit mm-hmm. mixed with the rock instruments I think they need to do a better job mixing those instruments because lyrically and vocally I don't mind them going into the rock because that does represent the teenage angst mm-hmm. and I just think the music because they set it up so perfectly in the first song of rock vocal almost mixed with more classical music. I'm like, that's such a cool mix. And Next Normal kind of went there, but not fully. And maybe that's why I like Next Normal a little bit more is because it has a bit more of that classical underscore to it. Yeah, it also has a lot more traditional like the traditional musical theater style whereas like yes. i could see these songs being sung by like well not all of them but like at least some of these songs being sung by like any pop artist and i think that's yes. like that's duncan sheep's influence in there yeah um, exactly but i i think that it has a healthy balance of going back and forth between the two like Ma- like mm-hmm. you know mama who wore me sets the scene sort of but then mm-hmm. the reprise is angry and then there's all that's mm-hmm. known which is softer and then there's the bitch of living which is aggressive and then it goes into like my junk and touch me which are like more like my junk's a fluffy song and then touch me is like <laughs> a little bit more vulnerable and then you get right later on you get to songs like the dark i know well and then there were none which are darker and like it yes. kind of returns to that angst and a little bit more aggression <laughs> and then in the latter half mm-hmm. you have the mirror blue night and i believe yeah and those are softer and more gentler songs too so mm-hmm. yeah. i would say there's a balance but to me, The Bitch of Living mm-hmm. and Totally Fucked are the two songs that are like the aggressive songs. And then that's it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Fair. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, for me, like, as I said, it's not it's not that I don't like what they do. I just think they go too early into that full rock when I'm like, give me a little bit more of what we had in Mama Who Bore Me. Give me a little bit more of that classical yeah. cello that's pulling them back in. Like, as the act one progresses, like, touch, like, uh, what was the song I said that you should come in on? Touch Me. Mm-hmm. Like by that, by, I, I, like I'm like by that point because they're talking about touching, right? Like there should be that explosion of rocking. There is on. though, but it's it's it doesn't happen in an aggressive way. It happens like right after, um, I think it's like in the last chorus where it, it does it does a build up. Yeah, 
right? Eventually. Yeah. But yeah, I think. Mm, mm. All right. I we have to I'll, I'll, agree I'll, to disagree I'll, on this one. Yeah, but. I'm okay with musical, that. This musical is so much about shock, I find. True. And that's what kind of, I don't know. I'll get that. I'll get into that at the end. All right. Tell me your favorite right. pick, Mackenzie. Well, I, I mean, just did, I, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I told you mine, which is Mama Who Bore Me. So what's your number two, Jay Maxwell? My number two, and I actually feel like this is probably my number one because I love how mm-hmm. beautiful it is. Um, but I don't do this in order, so, because <laughs> I can't choose. <laughs> um, my second choice is Don't Do Sadness, Blue Wind. They come to That did not make either of my lists. Okay. I really mm-hmm. like this song because it's it comes right after the guilty ones at mm-hmm. the top of act two. The guilty right. ones is this soft, beautiful song. And then more it's like comes storm. I do too. More it's comes storming on the stage and does mm-hmm. don't do sadness. And right. it is the scene when him and Ilsa meet or they run into yes. each other and they kind of reminisce on their childhood mm-hmm. and so this is this is really like a vulnerable moment for Moritz he's he's I mean he says I don't do sadness not even a little bit mm-hmm. and it works I love it because then you have Ilsa who sings Blue Wind and right. it's it's soft it's gentle it's the opposite of the aggress the aggressiveness of don't do sadness and then right. I love how it's staged Mm-hmm. They both have their own sets of microphones, but they never right. look at each other. Ooh. So that to me, it yeah, it's and it's great. And it's also how they deliver the dialogue too. They don't look at each other. And that to mm-hmm. me is like it's perfect because it feels like like it's the reason why Moritz doesn't run off with Elsa. It's right. it's like there's this invisible glass wall where it's like, I can't get. I'm Moritz and I can't get to your side, Ilsa. Mm-hmm. So it's like, mm-hmm. you know, we're here, but we're, and we're experiencing these same feelings and this emotion, but we're not on the same level. Moritz right. is like in a totally different headspace. Ilsa's like, come off with me and, you know, we'll live this amazing yeah. artist life. And it just, it, it's like two magnets on, on yeah. the opposite yeah. end where you can't get yeah. them to touch. Like, yes. So I love all of that. Yeah, it's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful yeah. song. It almost made my list, but I was like, but I was like, the one song I like even more, which is my number two, which is Those You've Known. Through the dark, the moon alone, they're burning. The stars, too, they tell of spring returning. And summer with another wind that no one yet has known. Though you call me, you're much more to Another day, another love, your heart. 
Can you make your list, Jay Maxwell? I would say that it, yeah, for that's probably my third. I would say say a tie between that and the guilty ones. I love the guilty ones musically, but in terms of fitting for the show, those you can own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for me, what I liked about the song is that even though Melchior uh, Melchior is in a very dark place contemplating completing suicide, uh, the song doesn't lean into that teenage angst of that moment. Instead, what it goes to is a mature growth of this kind of mature rock, this mature lyrical sound to it. And that's why I was like, oh, that's nice. That actually shows a bit of a journey to his character musically. And I like, and, 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 and as you can tell, Jim Maxwell, from our previous conversations, is I like scores that, Sondheim does this a lot too, where his scores reflect the, the characters and reflect the world and give a journey of its own that if you listen to it, you're like, ah, okay, I'm getting a journey. I'm getting a picture here. So yeah, yeah. So it, it reflects the whole big journey uh, Melchior has gone on through this piece and how he's very much now an adult after going through all these adult experiences, particularly all these losses he suffered. Um, he realizes though, how even though he's lost a lot, he still has their lasting impacts on him, which is a very adult mindset to have. That's not something youthfully connect with. Like, yes, you hear it from adults saying that to you when you lose someone, lose a grandparent, lose an aunt, lose an uncle, lose a family, lose another close family member, lose a friend. Adults always say, don't worry, they'll be with you. They left an impact on you. And as a kid, you're like, I don't get what you mean. As an adult though, you do understand what that is. And for and to have that moment there. And I also like how the ghost characters of Moritz and Venla, their vocalization almost sounds like they're reaching and calling out while Melchior's vocals are much more styled in a more natural conversational, almost talk singy style. So I, I like how they juxtapose and yet mix nicely together and how it presents this that he is still present in the world and he's not leaving the world. And yet the people who are with him are not really gone because their, their voices still carry almost on the wind, basically. Um, yeah. It's cool yeah, how it's, they, it's cool how that's staged too. Because is it? Yeah. Yeah. Because, um, you know, Melchior is about to, like, he has the razor. He's going to, yeah. he has it to his, he has it to his neck. And then, mm-hmm. um, um, more it starts the song by mm-hmm. like he sings those you've known and um, mm-hmm. those you've known and lost oh, I'm forgetting the lyrics but he starts he starts yes. the song but he comes from the the back of the stage and kind of like in a trap door comes up and then Benla does Ooh. the same thing too when yeah and it's like it's all it's, it's got like all the kind of smoky stage smoke going on it's cool but Love they it. they stand directly behind him and they're mm. on both, like, there's one point where they put both of their hands, or mm-hmm. each each one puts one hand on one shoulder, one of Melchior's right. shoulders. So it, it looks kind of like a triangle, basically. And, uh, mm-hmm. but it's just them standing behind him. And it's, it's, it's like a, like a, like, you know, how you always say like, you've got an shoulder. angel yeah, on your shoulder angel. or, yeah, so yeah. like that kind of direction of it um, makes it look really cool. And it reminds me of Don't Do Sadness where it, you know, they're not, they never look at each other. It's just like, right. we're in this and we're not necessarily all on the same level, but like mm-hmm. we're experiencing it together. 
I especially love, I love this song that. because yeah, and it's it looks really cool. It's done quite tastefully. Um, mm -hmm. I love this song because it parallels all that's known. All that's known. History and science overthrown at school at home by blind men you doubt them and soon they bark and hound you till everything you say is just another bad about you all they say is trust in what is written wars are made and somehow that is wisdom thought is suspect and money is their idol Nothing is okay unless it's scripted in their Bible. Mm. Which is, it, like, like I said, it's not a reprise, but they use the same music. So it mm -hmm. kind of almost feels like a full circle because in all that's known, Melchior questions society, what he wants to do to change it, um, how he can be a better person and be kind of above the adults who, mm -hmm. who chastised him. Those you've known is like it's it's like that kind of adult mm -hmm. revelation that sort of um he's it, there's another line and I'm not getting the lyrics right I'm totally blanking but he says he says something to the effect of you know I'll walk on with them not gone yes. I'll never let them go they walk mm -hmm. on in my heart and then like it just feels like you see you see a lot of growth between. Act mm -hmm. one, Melchior, and Act two, Melchior. Yes, I mean, I mean, he's been through a lot. He's been through a lot. Yes, yeah, <laughs> no, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous song. Yeah. So, my number three is the dark I know well. Great song. That song, actually, what we were talking about earlier, that mix of classical and and rock, yeah, is shown here because it starts with the strumming of the guitar, like the electrical bump, 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 bump. Mm -hmm. But then you also get this cello when she starts talking about her father coming in. That is this. You do 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 do. I got on the cello. You hear this kind of staccato cello playing underneath too, almost like a ticking clock. Yeah. Like, like it's so great, and it's that mix of dread that that that, that you just that that underscore just makes your stomach stomach churn. It's almost oh, like yeah. hearing that Heath your Joker theme from the Dark Knight, okay. that just long cello note that just yeah. makes you go my like my 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 shoulders are going up here. Mm. And it's the same thing. You listen to that song; it's just your stomach churns as she's describing what's about to happen to her, and yeah. it just makes your stomach hurt. And the lyrics are so disgustingly haunting that you just sit there and you just go oh god oh yeah. god and and your mind just can't help once again what as they say in horror movie it's scarier the stuff that you don't see and your mind has to fill in the blank and the yeah. lyrics describe something that just starts putting pictures in your head 
that's like oh god i don't want to be picturing any of this but it's like right right from the start Mm -hmm. there's a part i can't tell about the dark i know well Mm -hmm. oh like it's just such a good song it is and it's just stuck with me such a whole way it's short and that's all Mm -hmm. you really need it to be but i love that it's it's marta and it's ilsa who sings it too Yes. Because at this point, at this point, we don't know anything about Elsa from what the right. girls have said that she's been abused as well. So to right. have her come in and sing too is mm-hmm. is a really good choice. And that yeah. I, I agree that that dun, 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 like the yes the the cello and then like when the guitars come in after, but it's it it sounds like what anxiety feels like. Yes, like, it's that yes. repetition that it's like yes, yeah. It's like, a, just, like a heart up. beating fast it's, like yeah. it, it's so hard to describe yeah. but mm-hmm. yeah great song mm-hmm. great choice. it's almost like drowning like you're in that enclosed space and the water just keeps getting higher Ooh. and higher and higher on you yeah and it's like it's like oh it's just it's just scary yeah. and it's yeah so that's why i liked it because it's just stuck with such a horrible way that i'm like oh it's it's done a number on me mm-hmm. it's done it, it, it's, it's done a number on me it is a number that is sticking with me so i went that's easily my number three choice Awesome. Okay, Jay Maxwell, let's get into the songs we often would skip or would cut. So I already gave my first one, which was The Bitch of Living. So what is your number one? My number one is The Word of Your Body. Just to unreal this Watching his world slip through my fist That did not make my list. It's a snooze. (laughs) This song is so boring to me. It's just them talking about how, oh, here's all the things I could do if we had sex right now. But I, oh, I can't. We, we just, we can't, we can't give into our urges and, oh my God, just shut up and kiss already. Like, <laughs> next. But isn't that the point of the song though, is to build up that anticipation for the kiss? But we, we get all, but they don't kiss. Oh, that's true. They don't. It's just, they do nice little That's fancy... right. It's them in the hayloft. Yeah. No, it's like, not. Talking. It's or the it's, tree. It's, it's when it? they first, it's when they first run into each other. Right. Before the spanking. Yes. Um. We get all that touchy lovey nonsense mm-hmm. in Touch Me, which is the song before. Right. <laughs> right. I it's redundant. Just, yeah. And I could have just done with mm-hmm. them just having a conversation and then mm-hmm. like move on. Yeah. Haven't you heard the word of your body? Like, ugh. Boring. <laughs> boring. Next. Goodbye. <laughs> so for me, this one actually may surprise you a bit. But my num- but my number two choice is I believe. 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 I believe.
my list too. Oh, really? No, 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 wait, no, no, it wasn't. Sorry. Sorry. It wasn't. Oh, you have me excited there for a minute. Sorry. It wasn't. It wasn't. (laughs) I was looking at a different song. It's not. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. I believe, I just don't find it hits the right note for the climax of act one. For me, I go, the song feels almost too happy and hippy dippy a bit with like the choral happy Mm -hmm. singing, you know, and as an audience member, I get that the writers wanted it to be this loving moment with with with, with, with explicit consent can get uh, given because it's in the play it's a very dark uh scene but for me I just go mm, it, it it just felt too it almost it almost felt in the realm of god spell mm. to me and I'm like this should feel more foreboding there should be almost like uh the dark I know well there almost should be that mix of happy excitedness of this moment of, oh my goodness, I'm going to have sex for the first time. But then there should be this underscore of you are kids and you don't know what you're about to do. And you're about to open up a can of worms you can't close. And it's going to kick off a bunch of shit that is not good. Um, and so it, it just it just doesn't hit that note at the end where I'm like, mm, no, no, it, 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 it just, it feels like a wrong turn in the music. Hmm. Like, I, 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 there should be some like it shouldn't be this i believe like happy <laughs> like well, happiness you know like, like it should be something more darker i i i, I guess I, yes absolutely change the rate to a, an explicit consent without knowing what you're consenting to that's fine but the music should then still reflect this darker undertow like uh, just like we have in, in 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 the dark i know well yeah that really kind of just leaves the audience going, I'm happy you two got together because I've been invested in your coupling, but oh, something just doesn't feel right in my stomach. I don't feel like this is going to end well. Yeah. I believe is a funny one because I agree that it, it takes a wrong turn musically, but lyrically it's smart because... Yeah, lyrically it's smart. Once again, musically is where... But I'm musically, musically, yeah, something needs to be yeah. different. Lyrically it's mm-hmm. smart because... I think of the line, um, I believe um, all will be forgiven. There is love in heaven. Because right. when you think about when this musical took place, mm-hmm. you know, having having sex before marriage was considered something so sinful. Sinful, yeah. So saying like, all will be forgiven. There is love in heaven. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it kind of dismisses the... Um, like that kind of notion and that it's like, you right. know, no, it's, it's fine. Like what you're doing is fine. Yeah. I have, I have mixed feelings about the hayloft scene. It's. <laughs> you gotta have it to move the plot along. I know. I know. Yeah. Obviously, obviously, obviously not something that you can cut, but I just, I find yeah. it interesting how like they want it to be loving and consensual. Mm. And I get that. Because, mm-hmm. you know, in the original play, it's so much more aggressive. But, like, mm-hmm. I feel like you can argue that this scene might not be consensual. Because then no, she, do, then doesn't she know, know what what's happening. Yeah. She doesn't understand the repercussions. Mm-hmm. So, like, she says yes. They both say yes. But, mm, is it? You could argue any teenager may not fully comprehend back in the 
No, back in those but, first but, moments of high school lust no, that they're but, fully committing to. But you so, understand, you understand when you have sex that you like, yeah. like as, as a one, as like you uh, can, yeah. you can, a baby can happen. She doesn't know right. that. She doesn't know where babies right. come from. So right. it's, I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I just go, yeah, the scene, yeah. Cause, cause like, I actually I respect, went back and reread that scene in the play. I was yeah. like, this is a much darker scene in the play. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think you could do it as dark as the play did because I think it would turn audiences off and not want them to come back to act yeah, two. Like, um, unless you so, really, yeah, unless you really want to go yeah. there. But right, yeah, exactly. I, I, I respect them wanting to make it softer mm-hmm. and loving. Mm-hmm. I think I think they went too far, particularly musically, because once again, the lyrics of this show are very smart and almost and, and, are, and are very and are, and are very well done. But say for me, it's always I don't think musically it, it it like some of the songs were really kind of the wrong turn and this is a really good example of they went too far the wrong way yeah but then and I i'm think like song- no like just i just have this cello doing the cello thing of bum, 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 yeah. bum, bum, bum. or even just build it up so it starts really soft and you don't realize it till it climaxes at the end of act one right when yeah the moment actually happens and there should be this big long cello note at the end that just goes oh no yeah something something because they have that beautiful cello overture that never comes back yeah actually i think that was replaced with the um like once the broadway production was a little more fleshed out i think it was replaced with just a guitar for mama who born oh no keep the cello for mama who bore me the world yeah yeah for mama who bore me yeah because cello is so good i think the world i think so I could be wrong, but, um, but then, yeah, I I don't know. You go to a song like whispering where Venla is like, oh, he touched me. I let him love me. Mm -hmm. Let that be my story. So (laughs) I guess in the end, she's okay with it, but sorry. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Your fate is about to be real tragic girl. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. So then Jay Maxwell, what is your number two? My number two was the mirror blue night. Naked blue angel who pierced through the blinds, disappears in the gloom of the mirror blue night. But there's nowhere to hide from these bones from my mind. It's broken inside. I'm a man and a child. I'm at home with a ghost who got left in the Mirror Blue Night. Song, yeah, that didn't make my list. It's a song Melkira sings before, mm-hmm. I believe, and I just feel like it, mm-hmm. it's not necessary. Um, yeah. It felt like the song mm-hmm. that was in, be- like they need for whatever reason they wanted a song in between, and then there was, and then there were none. And yeah, um, and I believe, and I just feel like you could have skipped it. Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. Yeah, what, what, once again, get us to the end of Act One. This is a very long musical. It's not short. I get, yeah, I, so I, the time you, you add the book being, and the music in, it, it's 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 a bit of a longer really, show. Yeah, you're being really dragged through the uh, through all of the <laughs> depressing topics. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Okay, my number three is 
One, I'm sure, Jessica, you are going to disagree with me on, but it is, and then there were none. Oh. Stiefel, one thing in your letter disturbed me. Your, what shall we call it, veiled threat that should escape not be possible, you would take your own life. Okay, so now we do the play, act like we so care, no way. You'll write my folks, well, okay, babe, that's how it goes. My dear boy, the world is filled with men, businessmen, scientists, scholars even, who have done rather poorly in school and yet gone on to brilliant careers. Consider, for example, our friend. They freak or won't, you tell the line. Tell your soul, just kill some time. Will it quit? It will until they don't. Why? <laughs> okay. So, like the bitch of living, for me, I just go the rock anger right off the top. It's too soon. It should build as Morris is reading the, or hearing this note. From what's her name? Melchior's mother. Melchior's mom. Fanny. I think her I think her name's Fanny. If I remember correctly, she sounds her letter off. Yours always Fanny. Yeah. Um, and for me, I just go, they missed a really cool opportunity because none of the adults ever really sing. And for me, I'm like, I would have loved a really cool classic vo- female voice needing that rock voice and having this really kind of mothering classical, like it's okay. Because she did, she actually gives some very sound, sage, kind advice to him, where she's like, where she's like, your letter said you were contemplating completing suicide. That concerned me. Please don't think about this. A lot of people fail their exams and still go on to do really smart, great things. But she's giving some really good advice. But I'm like, but I'm like, because she's speaking the lines and not matching him vocally, she totally gets drowned out. And for me, I go, you can have her be drowned out, but that should build. Like it comes in so hot and angry right off the top and so angsty right away that there's no, once again, there's no build. I like, I, I wanted more build with this show. I wanted, because I, 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 teenage angst, as you and I both know, or maybe you, you know more than I as, do. As, as a former past teenager, former exactly. past teenagers ourselves. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yes, yes exactly. Like ang- our angst never, it wasn't always exploding right like like teenage angst what it is is uncontrolled emotions right like we don't know like the chemicals or hormones are mixing and we don't have these controlled emotions yet so it's these explosions of anger that bubble and boom right and for me i just go this musical the whole time is always just explode 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 for me i want peak and valley peak and valley peak and valley peak and valley in a song and for more it's i'm like just give me more of that anger build because by the time you get to that last verse where i'm like yes now you like by the time you get to the others i'm like if you're really wanting to just drown everybody out and be angry and angsty then you've got it but coming at it right off the top it's like i missed i i i i, I miss that character and also just i think i think they really missed a really cool opportunity to have the one compassionate female adult giving her a bit more of a singing voice versus just talking voice so for me, I just go, I, I just think there was a bit of a missed opportunity. I think once again, it's just exploded too early with, 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 its, with, its, with its rocks, with, 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 with this rock angst, as it were. I, I can understand that. I, I yeah. would also have loved to have seen um, 
a, a good like having um Melchior's mother sing mm-hmm. because I think yes. that would have been a really great balance because this is a rock mm-hmm. song. I mm-hmm. would argue though that we don't need a build-up specifically with Moritz's character. He's True. been going through it from the beginning and he's probably True. been going through it since before then. Like right. the kid can't sleep. He yeah. uh, is being haunted by these dreams that he doesn't understand. Yeah. He finally uh, has a, that little moment of joy when he passes mm-hmm. his exam, only to be told that he's failed. He's let down his dad. Uh, yeah. The one adult that he feels like he can confide in is completely shooting him down. Doesn't is like, you know, oh, I'm so sorry. For a good happening. reason. <laughs> yeah, but I'm like, down just for a good reason. Sure. But like just thinking from his perspective, you know, I. Oh, think, yeah. I think Every door is closing to him. Yeah. And I think in this song, he wanted one answer and he would only take one answer. And when yep. he didn't get it then that's it. And yeah. so I think, I think he doesn't need a buildup. I think, you know, there were before the show started, he was dealing with his own thing that we mm-hmm. don't necessarily get to see. Yeah. So maybe see, for we me, don't I go, that. I think you do I mean, need a buildup because he's written this letter expecting a different response and in character, he's, he has to read the letter and have the letdown that then brrr, sends yeah. him up the run again right because he's built up this expectation of this one adult friend she's gonna help me she's gonna give me the money that's i can get out of here and go to america Mm. and then as he's reading this letter that is saying no and here's my adult rationale which you don't get because you're a child and you're not going to get this adult rationale of no here's why then it's like well frig fudge like (laughs) like damn it (laughs) like like uh, uh, then that the anger just Builds up again because he's he's got himself he's he thinks he has a way out, but then it gets shut to him. So I'm like, he I, he's got to kind of reignite that 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 you know, yeah. I would ang- feel, that, that, yeah yeah. I would feel that maybe if he wasn't, I feel I feel like at this point he's already so far gone. If he True. wasn't, like if this was mm-hmm. bitch mm-hmm. of living Moritz, right? Then maybe, but. Mm-hmm he's he's had a lot going on since then so i feel yeah. like you know he's just sort of yeah he's probably dreamt up this wonderful escape and mm-hmm. this is what he wants and oh my gosh this is great this is gonna happen but i think mm-hmm. also somewhere he's already right there somewhere the else he's already there yeah yeah mm-hmm. fair but fair fair enough mm-hmm. yeah once again like it's not like once again it's not that i'm like i hate this show i hate this show it's more like <laughs> i think there's better dramaturgical ways of executing certainly this that gives a better build to this versus being in your face teenage mm-hmm. right off the top because yeah. as an adult now and as autumn said many times teenage angst is, it can get very tiring after a while to sit yeah oh, like as a teenager yeah. you're right into this but i'm sure your mom was like oh my goodness she was probably like i oh my goodness <laughs> this is driving me nuts here <laughs> bless her for sitting through it with me <laughs> yes bless you sue bless you sue yeah so there we go okay let's get into the final section jessica which is right. does this musical still have a place today uh should it be revived uh i don't know i i think it's interesting to have a musical that explores mm-hmm. these kind of themes and does it in a very in-your-face way could it right. be toned down a bit probably but I think a lot about when this show premiered, which was mm-hmm. 2006. And mm-hmm. this was 
at a very different time than now. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I feel like it targeted um, teens that weren't necessarily, um, or I should say, I should say that it it targeted teens who were uh, not as desensitized as I would say teens today mm-hmm. are. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't have social media really. I think the extent was Facebook and MySpace. Um, right. You know, the news wasn't in our face twenty four seven. There. Like, were there still sad things going on in the world? Sure, but it wasn't nearly as prominent as it is now. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so I, whether or not this show would necessarily resonate with today's audiences, I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. Spring Awakening to me feels like a kind of show that you either really got it or you didn't. Um, <laughs> I, as shown by the two of us. <laughs> um, and I, I like the point you made about the the teen angst there's only so much of it that you can sit through mm-hmm. um you know i loved it when i was 14 because i was a teen and i was angsty but i mm-hmm. i'd like to think of of shows um that that can have that angst but still be kind of like from a more adult perspective um yes. i think american idiot is a really good example of that there is a lot of mm. angst there from a punk rock perspective but that looks at like the war in america drugs but it has it has a growing up message by the end of it mm-hmm. and then i think of i think of movies like the breakfast club that mm-hmm. were targeted towards teens but were written in a way that it wasn't like oh poor me i like i'm going through this with my parents blah 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 like it's that movie has stood the test of time with so many generations, you know? And that was a movie from the 80s. So whereas Mm -hmm. Spring Awakening is kind of a show where it was like, it felt right for the time. I don't know Mm -hmm. if we necessarily need to revive it. It was revived, and I think it was revived too soon. (laughs) So it could have a place, but it also could not. That's kind of where I sit. It's an on-the-fence musical for me. Yeah. For me, I go, I think this most recent revival proved that this show actually still has a place because it's all about this uh, struggle that we are still going through uh, about about teaching children about sex education and abortions Mm -hmm. and consent. Like, I mean, look at what's happening in Texas right now with the six-week ban on abortions. Actually, yes, that's a very good point. (laughs) So for me, I go... Until we as a society get more open and comfortable, particularly in North America, mm. about discussing these topics, we will always have this other side, which is the spring awakening side of, of, of the youth going, I don't understand. And then when they don't understand, they turn to places that they don't fully understand. Ergo why we have people now going, kids who grew up watching porn are very misconceived about what, the, mm-hmm. uh, what, what that experience really is. And it does an actual mental... Um, detriment to them because it puts the wrong ideas of visually physically what this um is and i mean i think also just the pressures that get put on students like i mean you and i remember we had all about the testing and the and the standardized test you had to pass to get a good grade which then allowed you to then get a better chance of getting into a school yeah and and i mean down in the states it's even worse i mean they have they have essays like there's a whole lot of other application process they have to go through to get uh into a post-secondary education so moritz's story is still very much um relevant and and teen suicide it's it's still Mm -hmm. a huge topic 
that and now even yeah yeah yeah, nowadays with even more depression and anxiety coming like it's 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 coming from even more of a topic that needs to be discussed and addressed i think i think for teens Mm-hmm. yes this show it works, certainly yes. could and mm-hmm. and you're so right the subject matter mm-hmm. of it is a hundred percent relevant i think that's what drew yeah. so many people to it to begin with yep um i yeah just the angstiness i don't know and then well yeah exactly for me i go i think what this piece needs is it needs a reevaluation of the score if they yeah. can tone down the angst in the score or make it so the angst bubbles up and explodes in a certain way because lyrically this show works. It's once again, for me, I just go, yeah, it's, it's the music. The music is always just, <laughs> it's the bitch of living. <laughs> me. That's the metal version. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So for me, I just go, I think that's where if you're going to revive it, again, I, I think for adults who are going to take their kids to see this, then there needs to be more of that as I said early on, that juxtaposition, that push and pull, and you do that through the music, you lean more into that cello and classical strings because that is the adult world, that is the repressed world that's always underneath these kids the whole time in their in their music is in their music and their voices are continually trying to break away from that. And it's not till the end when you get that final screw you, purple, purple summer thing. Uh, at the end. And so for me, I just go, I think there's a lot of potential. And I think this most recent revival proved that you can uh, tackle this in many different ways. You can swap deaf for, uh, I don't know, you could do it as simple as BIPOC representation. You could, uh, you could do it with people with autism, special needs, so many different things. You can replace the youth of one thing with another thing. Like it is a very versatile piece that way yeah so for me i go yeah for me i go i don't think it's ever going to go away i think every time like i guarantee you somebody right now is probably thinking because of this texas abortion ban uh law i guarantee you somebody somewhere in the states is going we should do spring awakening as a response to this uh i guarantee you there's somebody out there who was thinking that and if not i'm happy to put the kernel in your head you can take that idea for free. <laughs> so for me, I go, yeah, it's it's going to be around. It is it is a piece that it's proven to be a critical darling, as well as it's as well as the content is still very much relevant. So for me, I go, yep, it's 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 here to stay, and it's going to keep getting revived in different ways. I just think we got to really look at the score, go back to the score, and see how we can make it less one note and more yeah, of a let's see. plethora of notes in like. In how cool to do like an aggressive version of left behind which is mm. the song of moritz's funeral yes well see that's exactly it. that song should be as rock rebellious as possible but like you need the sad song because right after that is it's totally fucked so and then that's the, that's where the aggression comes in i kind of like that it's the rock music for the teens if there were yeah. songs sung by the adults then you could have that like more mm-hmm. more of like uh, the traditional yeah musical theater style yeah yeah you you brought up some good points okay i changed my mind it yay it, <laughs> it still has a, it still has a, a spot i just think well, a lot of like when it came out how different yeah. the teen audience was then versus now yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah yeah 
Well said, well said, J. Maxwell, well said. Well, let us sign off for this episode. First of all, I want to say the big thank you out to Mr. Brody Weld for writing our wonderful theme music. He has currently got some new singles coming out. So check him out. Father Flows Us on all music platforms, uh, Bandcamp, Spotify, Apple Music. You can listen to his favorite track of mine, which is Home Decor, where he raps about household furniture and his new life as a dad and a father in COVID. Uh, then you also can check the Before the Down Be Dead on all social media platforms and on Patreon, where we do all types of fun stuff. Heck, we may even have Jessica to come on and do a top 10 list of top 10 shows Jessica would have liked you have seen on Broadway. Oh, where to start. <laughs> right? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so check that out. And Jay Max, where can people find and follow you? I'm on all social platforms under the handle Jay Stuff Max. Jay Stuff Max. Love that. And you still have your YouTube channel? Not so much these days, but okay. that's okay. Yeah. We got the other <laughs> stuff. Yeah. It keeps me busy. There you go. Love that. Love that. And you can find and follow me at Mackenzie Horner on all social media platforms. Uh, you can also check out my Antics with Cup of Hemlock where we do artist interviews. Uh, uh, we just did a whole mini review series on Nicholas Nickleby, uh, starring the late Roger Reese. Uh, and we have a lot of great upcoming uh, Stratford content for you since they just are releasing their new season that they just did on film. So stay tuned for that. And until then, everybody, stay healthy, stay safe, and... It's the bitch of living, everybody. It's the bitch of living. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Bye.